Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. And just make sure that we win, all right? But anyway. All right, well, let's jump into what we're doing today. We are in week four of a series called Running with the Giants. And essentially what we're doing in this series is two things. We're, we're really diving into our Bibles and getting to know the stories and the characters of the Bible a little better. And we're also finding encouragement for them because they, of course, have lived their lives of faith long before us. Not perfect lives, but lives that can speak to our lives today. And so there's much to be learned from them and to be encouraged by them. And that's what we're doing in this series is listening to those, those voices of the people. In fact, our theme verse comes from Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the witnesses, of course, are the people that Hebrews chapter 11 talks about. It's all these, these heroes of the faith that are now in, in heaven. And it says they're watching us as if they're sitting in stands watching us, cheering us on. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, I like it that your Bible is so personal this way. It identifies that it's going to be easy for us to get entangled in sin, that it's going to be easy for us to get bogged down by life and by the decisions and by circumstances and trials and problems. Like, it's going to be easy to do that, but it encourages us to throw off those things, to, to, to get away from those things that so easily entangle us. The problem is, for you and I, we don't often know how to do that. We're busy running our race. We're busy getting the kids to school and to their activities and getting to church and serving here and doing this there. We're busy running around, and it's really hard for us sometimes to identify those issues in our lives. How do we throw those things off, and how do we get free? And since that's the case, we need some help. It's like having somebody in the stands cheering for you, saying, come on, you can do it, being encouraged by them, which is awesome, but it's even better to have them come alongside you and sit in the dirt with you or say, hey, man, I've been here before. I, I can help you with my life. I've experienced this before, and this is how God moved in my life, and this, this is what you need to do. It's a total different thing. And so, so that's what we're doing in this series. It, it, it continues and says, says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And when you've got somebody that comes alongside you, that encourages you, that helps you see what you can't see, that helps you get free, you can run your race with perseverance. That means you can finish well, and it's really important that we do that. So that's what we're doing in this series. We're, we're calling some of these heroes of the faith out of the stands to come run a lap with us. And this week, uh, we're calling out David. Now, in weeks prior to, we've, we've called out Moses, we've called out Noah, we've called out uh, Abraham, and, and let them encourage us with, with stories from their life. But today, it's David. And I would tell you, I could probably spend a lot of time talking about David. The Bible covers his life in, at length. And in fact, of David's life, it was said, God said this about him, that David was a man after God's own heart. Now, that's somebody, when, when God speaks that about someone, you really want to hone in on their life. You want to figure out what is it about their life that was different. What did they experience? How did they respond? How did they live their lives? When you look at David's life, the guy wasn't perfect. I mean, he had committed adultery. He murdered somebody, you know, because, so he, he, he sleeps with a woman that's not his wife. She's married to a guy. He has that guy killed, and then he takes her as his wife and has the baby, and, and like, it's all kinds of bad stuff. Like, but David's not a perfect guy. And yet, how he handled his life is important to look at. And as we work through this series, the, probably the most important thing that I think David would teach us, though, 
is simply this, is that you are exalted by God as you humble yourself under God's authority. That you're exalted by God as you humble yourself under his authority. See, in historically, in biblical times, God was the people's king. He was their Lord. He was their master. He was their government. He was all of that. And the, the people of Israel, the Israelites, as they began to get established in the promised land that God sent them to and said, this is your land. As they began to get established, they started looking around at all the other, other kingdoms around them. And they said, you know what? They all have kings. We'd like to have a king. And God said, well, I'm your king. God traveled with them. His presence was actually with them, physically with them. His Shekinah glory, the visible glory of God was with them. And they said, no, thanks. We'd rather look like everybody else and not be so weird. We'd rather have a king. Let's do it the way everybody else does. And God warns them. He's like, this is not a good idea. Kind of like a parent does. When the stove is hot and the kid wants to touch the stove, no, don't do that. Not trying to ruin your fun, but it's hot. It's going to hurt. And then what does the parent do? They step back like this and watch, and the kid touches and goes, owie, told you, it's hot. And so God does the same thing with the Israelites. He's like, I want a king. He's like, listen, this is a bad idea. The king is going to take your land. He's going to take your money. He's going to take your sons and put them in the army. He's going to take your daughters and make them servants in his house. This is a bad idea. You don't want this. And they said, Yes, we do, and they touched the stove. It was hot. And so God gives them a king, and he sends Samuel, the prophet, out to go anoint Saul, and Saul becomes their first king. But the problem with Saul is that he did not submit to God's authority in his life. And as a result, Samuel comes up to Saul and, and lets him know God has rejected you, and he leaves Saul, and he privately goes and anoints David as king. So in this time period, Saul is the appointed king. He sits on the throne. But David is the anointed king, and he's in waiting. He's waiting for the day that Saul either dies of old age or dies or perishes in some way or has lost his kingdom so that David can step up and be king. And David had to wait. And all during that time, he had to submit to Saul's authority in his life. David is a perfect example of a man after God's own heart in this regard. And that's why if he could tell us anything, he'd tell us you're exalted by God as you humble yourself under God's authority. Now, authority is one of those things that none of us is exempt from. Every single one of us from the time we are born has authority in our life. No, nobody, nobody escapes that. You're not even Jesus. You know, Jesus was born of a heavenly father and an earthly mother. God caused the Virgin Mary to have a child, so he's got a heavenly father and an earthly mother. They're co-parenting Jesus. And Jesus submitted to their authority. You say, what happened to Joseph? We don't really know much about Joseph. He kind of gets lost in the story of the Bible. We don't hear much about him after Jesus is born. And... But we do know that Jesus submitted to the heavenly father and he submitted to Mary. Let me give you an example of what happened and how we know that. Jesus is heading off with his family. He's around 12 or 13 years old at this point. And he's headed off to the Passover festival at, in Jerusalem. Because they didn't live there, they had to make a journey back and they'd offer sacrifices. Some theologians believe that Jesus would have been going from age 12 to 13 and would have been going for his bar mitzvah. Would have been a, coming, a celebration of his coming of age. And so they go to the temple, they make the sacrifice, and then the festival's over and they leave. Joseph and Mary leave. And they get two days journey away from Jerusalem. 
and they haven't seen Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think that could ever happen in my household. Like, I have two days of not seeing my kid. But they were traveling with family. They were traveling with friends. You're like, Joseph and Mary, aces. You guys are great parents, right? Like, it's awesome. But, but they were traveling with family. It was a big caravan, and they just kind of assumed that, that he was hanging out with everybody. Well, two days later, they start checking around looking for Jesus, and they haven't found him. Cue the Home Alone music. We slept in. Like, they lost Kevin. And so they had to head back to Jerusalem two days. And they go back to Jerusalem, and where do they find Jesus? For the last four days, Jesus has been spending time in the temple. And what has he been doing? He's been teaching the religious leaders. And Mary comes up on him. And when she finds him, and I just imagine Mary in this moment that her neck gets all loose. Got them duck lips going on. And she's like, what do you think you're doing? And Jesus' response is, well, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? In other words, he's letting her know, hey, I'm ready to start my ministry. And you know what Mary does? Get in the car. Are we going? Let's go. You ain't doing this now. And she says no. Jesus is fully man, fully God, and Mary says no to God. Think about that. And because Mary says no, Jesus gets up and leaves. She says, it's not your time. Now, we don't hear anything about Jesus until about 17 years later. When they're at a wedding... And they're partying, and the wine is gone. And Mary looks at Jesus and says, hey, I need you to go ahead and do something about this. Now, when you read your Bible and you come across stuff like this, and Jesus has never done anything like this publicly, you got to wonder, how did she know that Jesus could do this? Like, is this something he regularly did, like turn glasses of water into wine at night, you know? Is this, is, is, is this something he regularly did when the groceries were gone? Hey, Jesus, can you take care of this so we never have to leave the house? You know, it's like, ta-da, here it is. It's like, you know, I, we don't know how Mary knew that Jesus could do this. But she comes to Jesus, and Jesus gives her a typical response. And it's, it's a, when you read it, it sounds like he's real, being really brash with her. But, it's, but he says, woman, what do I have to do with you? And it's a Hebrew idiom. It's a way of saying, like, ma, come on, I don't do miracles on Thursday, you know? Like, I mean, it's... It's just his response, and she said, she doesn't even respond to Jesus. She looks at the servants and says, just do whatever he tells you to do. And so Jesus turns the water into wine, and this begins his public ministry. This is the first miracle that he does. And, and from then on, the Bible says that he listened to God, and everything the Father said, he, he said, and everything the Father told him to do, he did. He began, he, he switched from honoring his mother's authority to now honoring God's authority and his heavenly Father's authority. It's interesting to me. Because here Jesus was ready at age 12 or 13 to begin his ministry, and his mother says no, and so he doesn't. And when he's 30, she says, hey, it's time to go, and he's like, no, and she says yes, and so he does. Jesus submitted to authority. That began his ministry. And nobody here, not even Jesus, not David, not me, not you, none of us are exempt from being under authority today. And so today I'm, I'm going to talk about David's life as it re revolves around this subject. My goal today, though, is to give you a couple truths about submitting to authority because I think it's important, especially in today's culture and especially in today's Christian culture, that we understand that God is the authority, that he's not asking us whether we like what he's telling us to do. He's the authority, and we need to understand authority in our lives, that when he asks us to do something, it's not a suggestion, and it's not because he wants to poo-poo all our fun. It's because he has something better for us and it would be better if we submit. So let me give you four truths 
around the subject of authority. I've already told my wife on my way over this morning, I said, this message is going to be wildly unpopular today. I don't think anybody's going to high five me and say, great job, preacher. I'm all right with that. But, I, but I'm your pastor and I love you and I feel like I need to talk about this. So here we go. Number one, the first truth is God is the originator of authority and Satan is the originator of rebellion. If you didn't know that, that's the case. God created authority and rebellion is from Satan. Check it out. Romans 13, 1 says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That means every authority in your life has been appointed by God. Whether they are godly people or not, that's not what this is saying. It's saying that every authority in your life is appointed by God. That would even include, and don't yell at me or throw anything at me, and I'm not making commentary on it, but that would even include that guy that's hashtag not your president. He is appointed by God. I'm not saying he's a man of God, so don't yell at me, and I'm not doing that. Just ride with me and don't check out on me, all right? But if you're a Christ follower here, this is your reality. This is, this is truth for us. It says, therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God. That's tough stuff. And it says, those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. In other words, they're not there to stop you from doing good. They're there to stop evil stuff. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what's good, and you'll have praise from the same. In other words, you don't want to be afraid of the cops. You don't want to be afraid of authority. Do the right thing. Right? It's just that simple. He's talking about authority again. He says, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he's God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. In other words, don't do it just because you might get in trouble. Do it because it's the right thing to do. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. In other words, he's calling the IRS ministers of God. Maybe you wouldn't think of them that way, and I don't like thinking of them that way, but they're ministers of God. They were ordained by him to do a thing. He says, therefore, rent, rent therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. All authorities from God. And God expects us to honor and to submit to human authority. He says, the IRS is a human authority, the police officers, the civil authorities, that includes all of your locally appointed and your nationally appointed. Those are all your authorities. That's what that verse says. And that we have to approach those in authority, that God will use all of them, whether they're godly people or not, whether they're fair or not, whether they're racist or not. No matter what they are, God will use them for his purpose in your life. That's what that verse says. All authority is from God, and we're called to submit to him. And all rebellion, the opposite of that, resistance to that, is from the devil. Here's the second truth about authority. is that rebellion against God's direct or delegated human authority is a serious sin with serious consequences. Back to Romans 13. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. We already talked about that. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. There's judgment that's attached 
to rebellion in your life and when you rebel against the authority. Check out Saul's situation. Saul rebelled against God. And what happened as a result was, was, was catastrophic in his life. God ultimately said, you're, you're done, you're rejected. See, Saul was sent as a king to go out with the army to wipe out these people. And typically when you went, you could take, you could take spoils of war, you could take servants, you could take livestock, you, you could take from it. And God told him in this time, he said, I want you to go out. He spoke through Samuel. He said, you're to go out and you're to wipe them out and you're not to, to take anybody hostage or anybody as a servant. You're to wipe out all these people. You're to wipe out all their livestock. You're to burn the city to the ground. You don't keep anything. And Saul had another plan. Saul went, wiped out the people, wiped out the city, but he kept the king alive and he took all their livestock and he brought them home with him. And Samuel's headed out to meet Saul to see how the war went. And he meets Saul on the road and he was getting ready to high five him and go, bro, tell me about your what happened. And he stops. He's, and, and the verse records it. Samuel says, do I hear bleeding in my ears? Like, you got sheep with you, bro? Did you take sheep with you to war? You kept some. You can feel this wash over Samuel, this sense of surprise. Bro, God told you not to do that. So I was like, I also got the king right here. He's, I've got him. I brought him for you. And I, and I brought all the sheep. I brought the livestock so that we could go and have a big worship service. And so that we could slaughter them and give them up as an offering to God. So I was like, that's why I did it. But check it out. Samuel confronts him and says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? He says, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. Other translations use this word divination as the word witchcraft. I'll get back to that in a second. He says, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. There's the consequences. Then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I violated the Lord's command in your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Listen. Fear of man will do that to you. People that are living their lives the wrong way, living their lives in rebellion. Fear of man, peer pressure will lead you down a path you don't want to be down. And Saul was more afraid of them than he was of men, and he lost it all. He said, now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I'm not going with you. You've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. God didn't want his sacrifice. Though this was not a bad thing that Saul wanted, it was not the right thing. It was not obedience. God wanted obedience from Saul. And so he rejected Saul because, God, because Saul rejected God. And Samuel calls him out, and he's like, hey, you're rebellion." That absolute refusal to what God told you to do is like witchcraft. It's like divination. You say, well, why, why, would, he, why would he compare that? Well, witchcraft is like this religion where, where it, the deity of it or the God of it is the witch themselves. And that the thing that they worship is themselves, is, 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 is who they are. And so they, so they use potions and lotions and motions to try to manipulate people and things in order to get what they want. And so when God sees you and I rebelling, he looks at us and sees us like the witches who are trying to manipulate the situation to get whatever it is we want out of it, to manipulate people and things to get what we want. We become 
our own deity. We become the defining authority when we rebel. But Samuel didn't only identify the rebellion, he identified the stubbornness too. He said, man, this stubbornness is in you. He called it like iniquity, which means it's a generational thing. He's like, this is in your dad, this is in your grandpa. You're just like them. You're stubborn. And stubbornness is a problem because stubbornness, while rebellion says no, stubbornness says, well, I'll go, but only if you change my mind. Or I'll go, but I'm going to be selective about it. Or I'll go, but I'm going to do it on my time. But how many of you know that selective obedience is still disobedience? That's good. Somebody should write that down. Selective obedience is disobedience. That's what it is. Why would he say that stubbornness is like idolatry? Because stubbornness worships your own opinion more than the rule of authority in your life. It says that you're right. It worships your opinion. Submission to authority isn't really an issue until you find that you disagree with someone. And that's when you find that you decide whether you're going to rebel, or maybe you're going to be stubborn, or you're going to submit. Stubbornness says, I'll do it when I'm ready, when I agree with you. Rebellion says, no, and both are a serious sin. Third truth about authority is understanding and accepting the principle of submission to authority accelerates your spiritual revelation and maturity. What does that mean? That's a whole lot of words. Here's what it means. That as soon as you get on board for submission to authority, it opens up a world of spiritual maturity to you. It unlocks your understanding of the Bible, and it unlocks your understanding of who God is in your life when you learn to submit to, to authority in your life. Look at this story of Jesus and a Roman centurion. During Jesus' time, the Roman Empire had expanded down to Israel, and they were oppressing the people. And so it was very common for you to walk around and see a Roman soldier because they were keeping the peace. They were monitoring what was going on in their territories. And Jesus encounters a Roman centurion, and it says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. He said, Lord, my servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. But the officer said to him, Lord, I'm not worried to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers. In other words, he's got a boss that he's under and he submitted to. He said, and I have authority over my soldiers. They're under my authority. He said, and I only need to say go, and they go. I say come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. He said, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed, turning to those who were following him. He said, I'll tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Here he is, a non-Jew. He's a Roman. He's a soldier. And he saw something in Jesus. He saw a man who was submitted to authority because that's who Jesus was. And he said, I'm a man of a, under authority too. I'm under authority and I have authority and I understand how this works. I ain't got to go do the thing that I need to have done. All I have to do is tell the person to go and they go. I said, come on, and they come on. It doesn't even have to, they don't even have to hear my word. I just got to go tell little Johnny to tell little Susie that's what I said and that's what they'll do. He understood authority. That his word was enough. And so he looks at Jesus and says, you ain't got to come to my house. Just say it. You're a man under authority. He understood authority and what happened? It unlocked his faith. Such great faith. Jesus said, I've not, I've not seen this in all, among all our people and among all of Israel. I, I haven't seen it. He understood authority and opened his heart and mind to see what others could not see. 
Submission to authority accelerates spiritual revelation and maturity. The fourth truth about authority that you need to know. Submission to authority brings supernatural favor, blessing, and protection from God. Now listen, God loves you unconditionally. That means there's no condition you can find yourself in that God doesn't love you. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to get more. God loves you. In fact, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be hanging on that refrigerator. He likes to look at you all the time. He's got you on the lock screen of his phone. You are loved and precious to him. God's love is unconditional. But his blessings are conditional. And if you want his blessings, they come by being obedient and doing things his way. Like a good father, he watches over us, and when he sees us obeying him, when he sees us giving, when he sees us forgiving, when he sees us obeying everything that he's laid out for us, like a good parent, he rewards good behaviors because he loves you. Again, his love is unconditional. His blessings are conditional. Look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. This verse starts here, and, and, and God wants you to understand something that from the very beginning, it's important that we understand the, the value of submitting to authority. And if you know this verse, this, this Ephesians 6, 1, you know that this speaks to children. God wanted to start early. And, and he says, and he tells these kids, he includes it in the Ten Commandments. It's old, in Old Testament times, it's one of the, the commands he gives them to honor your father and your mother. And it's the only, it's the first commandment in there that comes with a promise that if you do this at an early age, there's much to be gained by it. In fact, the verse says this. It says in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, because this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. That's, that's quoting. It's in quotes. It's, it's, it's literally quoting the Ten Commandments. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will, in, in quotes again, it's quoting, it's quoting the law from the Old Testament, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. You say, well, who, who, who does that apply to? If you're under 18, you live in your mom and dad's home, then you obey them. You are under their authority. When, once you get out from under their authority, then you, then you figure out how to honor mom and dad. You no longer need to obey them to submit to their authority in your life, but you need to honor them, and you need to find a way to do that. And if you do that, if you honor your father and mother, if you obey them during that time that you're under their authority, long life is promised to you and that things will be well with you. You say, what does that even mean? It means that you'll be blessed that God will bless you, you'll find supernatural favor and blessing and protection from God as a result. You want to live a long life? That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Why would God promise so much to children? Listen, parents, because it starts at an early age. How they learn or what they learn about authority in your home is how they will live with authority outside of your home, how they will interact to, submit to, or not submit to authority outside your home. If your child is running wild in your home and not submitted to your authority in your home, you can best believe he's not going to submit to a teacher at school, that he's not going to submit to the other authorities in his life or her life. You, they need to learn to submit at an early age, and God says, if you'll do this, kids, there's a lot of blessing that comes along with it. You say, well, Aaron, I'm not a kid anymore. Is it too late for me? The answer is no. No, you'll have an opportunity at the end of this service to do what we call repent, turn another way. If you're still living a life of rebellion, you can turn another way. 
Choose to submit to God's authority in your life because submission to authority brings supernatural favor and protection from God. Now, I know you understand authority. I also understand this is not real popular. We celebrate resistance. We celebrate rebellion. You know, our TV shows are all about it. Think about some of your favorite, the favorite stories and the books that you've read or the movies that you've watched or the TV shows that you still watch. We celebrate authority. You know, we all, we all like those crime shows, right, where the police are, are trying to get the bad guy. And there's this one rogue cop, man. He constantly breaks the law. But he gets the bad guys, and he does it good. We, we celebrate that, man. We watch it. We share it with our friends. We tell everyone, you got to watch this show, man. It's crazy. This guy's Jack Bauer. He just does all this stuff, man. He just, like, forget the law. He does what he wants. But he saves the world. USA. Woo! Like, we celebrate rebellion. Think about it. Think, think about the shows that you watch. Think about the things that you give your time and your attention to. We celebrate rebellion. You understand authority. You get it. Some of you might ask me, well, Aaron, you know, I, am I under authority? Am I, am I living on How do I know if I'm living under authority? How do I know if I'm submitted to it throughout all my life? Well, the true test of, of whether or not you're submitted to authority only comes in times of adversity. Because when you agree with authority, like if the IRS were to call me and say, hey, Aaron, we've, we've processed your, your return and we actually owe you $1,000 back, I submit. I submit. I'll take it. But it's when, when they say something I don't like to hear, well, I then submit. But when, when I'm in disagreement with them. So true submission is only shown in the face of adversity. In other words, there are tests that you can give. And David faced some tests in his life to see if he would submit to authority. And there are four simple tests. And this is where we'll really dig into David's life and, and why he'd tell you that if you, you humble yourself under God's authority, that he'll exalt you. The first test that David had to pass, pass that you and I need to pass, and that answers the question, are we really submitted to authority, is the arrogance test. David was privately anointed as king, and Saul didn't know that. There was rumors going around, but Saul didn't know that for sure. And, and, and David at this point, he, well, actually at this point, David was going to be, or what, what had been anointed king, and, and his legacy was getting ready to come out. And Saul doesn't know that that's happened. So David's coming out to the battlefield where Saul is fighting with the, the Philistines, and David's brothers are there, and he's sent out with food. He shows up, and he's, and he's just giving food to him, and he hears a rumble and a yell, and you know the story. It's Goliath. And he's all out there, fee, fi, fo, fum. And he's saying things that are really important that challenge the Israelites, but not, not important right now. And David is upset that all the Israelites are scared. Even Saul is scared. They're scared for their lives. They won't face him. So David goes to Saul and says, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth, speaking about Goliath. David's a man under authority, the king's authority. But it says David persisted. In other words, he made a righteous appeal, which, by the way, is how it ought to work. If you're under authority with your boss, if your boss, I had a boss tell me this, and I, th I just think this is the way we ought to be. If your boss tells you something that you don't like, you have the opportunity to try to change his mind or her mind, and if you can't, then you need to submit. David's making a righteous appeal. And he says, listen, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. 
If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears. Oh, my. And I'll do it to the pagan Philistines, too, for he's defiled the armies or defied the armies of the living God. Saul's appointed king. David's the anointed king. And yet David has to get permission in order to step up and do what he's been anointed to do, to kill Goliath. And so he goes to Saul and asks, and Saul's afraid that, that Goliath's going to kill him. David makes a righteous appeal, and Saul says, fine, you can go out. But I, I'm telling you, David would not have gone on the field had Saul not given him permission. He knew that he had God's blessing when he submitted to authority in his life, and that would have been Saul. If Saul had told him no and he'd have gone out on the field, I guarantee you one of two things would have happened. Goliath would have killed him because he would have done it without God's blessing. Or if he had killed Goliath, that he would have wound up in jail or dead because of a war crime for disobeying the king. Because he didn't have his blessing. David understood authority. Now David could have been tempted in this moment because he was anointed to be king. To lean over to Saul instead of making a righteous appeal to say, don't you know who I am? Do you not know who was just at my house? Can't you see the oil glistening on my head? He just anointed me king. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. I like it. He, he, could have, he could have been boastful. He could have been arrogant about it. Instead, David humbled himself to the king. Listen here. In your, whatever situation you're in, you might know that your boss is on the way out or the authority in your life is on the way out and that, that you're the next thing. But until you're the thing, my word of advice is you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Until you're it, you need to be humble and you need to submit. Because authority exists if for no other reason than to keep us humble. And if David hadn't humbled himself, I promise you that, that God or Saul would have humbled him in that situation. Many of you here today, you, you're under authority in your life. And you're more talented than they are. You know that you could do it better than they could. You're better looking than they are. No, I'm not sure. There's some better attached to it that you are. But if you don't humble yourself and submit, then authority will humble you. The second test we have to pass when it comes to authority is the abuse test. I already know some of the pushback in this room when we're talking about authority. Is, well, what if the authority in my life is abusive? Well, let's, let me speak to that. First Samuel 19 says this, but one day when Saul was sitting at home with spear in hand. A tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again. And as David played his harp, Saul hurled his spear at David. But David dodged out of the way and leaving the spear stuck in the wall, which, by the way, means he didn't grab the spear and throw it back at him. Because I don't know about you, but if somebody threw a spear at me and they missed, I might throw it back. But David left it there. He didn't return evil for evil. It says he fled and escaped into the night. And then Saul sent troops to watch David's house, and they were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, if you don't escape tonight, you'll be dead by morning. Now, I'm not sure why she felt the need to tell him the obvious. I mean, when your boss starts throwing spears at you, that might be like your first indication that you need to go ahead and update your resume and get out of there. Because here's what's happening here. In this current environment, David has now killed Goliath, and he's been brought in as, as a member of the army, and he's serving Saul and the kingdom. 
And now people are singing songs about it. They would sing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens thousands. And Saul is like having a rage fit over this. He's jealous, he's angry, he's upset because David is, David's legacy is greater than the king's. And so he wants to kill David. But David didn't stay in that abusive environment and enable that abusive behavior, nor did he return evil. And I'm here to tell you that God doesn't expect you to stay in an abusive environment and endure abusive behavior, no matter whether that's from your spouse or your boss or a spiritual leader. Now, I believe that there's an amount of suffering that you and I can face, an amount of suffering that you and I can endure, but the difference between, between suffering and abuse is when damage occurs. When damage occurs. Because I think you'll have a boss that tells you to do something a certain way or a parent tell you to do something that you're not ready to do, you don't want to do it now. And, and you'll have to suffer because you weren't able to change their mind, you weren't able to compromise. You, you're going to suffer because this is not what you want and you're submitting and you're suffering as a result. But, but, but suffering is not abuse. Let me show you this. It's from 1 Peter 2, verse 13. It says, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. There it is again. Whether the king as head of the state or the officials he's appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do right. It's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you're free, yet you're God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God. And respect the king. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when, conscious of his will. Let me push pause for a second. It pleases God when you face suffering under authority that you've submitted to. Because... You're conscious of his will. Conscious of what will? Conscious that everything you face in your life, according to Romans 8, 28, that God will use for his glory and for your benefit. That whatever suffering you are enduring now, we can count it all joy because God's using it to work something in you. So when you face this suffering, conscious of God's will, it pleases him. God knows about the bosses and the authorities in your life who are going to be unfair. He's well aware. And he wants you to submit to them anyhow, to submit with a good attitude for his sake because it brings him glory. It brings him glory and he's going to work something in you as a result. Now again, suffering means discomfort, but abuse means damage and I don't think that that's okay. I think in situations of child abuse, you need to get the child out of the situation. I think there are are certain, there are certain kinds of, of what we would identify as spousal abuse. But you need to not remain in that situation. I think, I think it's, it could be something as simple as, and hear me, something as simple as threats for abuse. That if you are in a home or you are in a marriage relationship and they are threatening abuse to you, then it's time to go. Now, I'm not talking about divorce. I'm saying it's time to remove yourself from that situation. Because the first time it happens, you're a victim, and the second time it happens, you're a volunteer. Don't stay in that situation. If you stay and put up with it, you're party to it. 
You need to look at that person who's threatening to abuse you and tell you, I'm going to leave or you need to leave, but one of us has got to go. And I love you, but I'm not going to give you the benefits of marriage. That you need to go get some help. And until you've had some help with some time and some longevity here and accountability, I'm not going to give you the benefits of marriage. And that we don't get to come back together. We don't, we don't get to live together. We don't get to be together until you make this right, until you get the help that you need. Love you, mean it. But I'm too precious in God's sight to be a whipping post. And that's the conversation that you have. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about constructive separation. I'm talking about a time apart because I believe in a time apart that God's grace will flood that space. If both of you will submit to an authority in your life, to getting help, to receiving the help that you need to get your heart and your mind set right to restore that relationship. And you don't return to it until that's the case. I never advise divorce. That's not the thing that I go to. The world wants you to do that. The world wants you to call it quits. I think God's grace is greater. And I think that constructive separation is helpful. So understand a submission to authority isn't blind. That suffering is to be expected, but abuse is not to be tolerated. We all have to submit to unfair authority in our lives, but the line is drawn where there's damage. The third test is the advantage test. What happens when you have an advantage over your boss? Well, all of you have an advantage over your boss. You're all gifted and talented. Some of you are just younger. You think faster. You understand things maybe that your boss doesn't understand. You understand technology. You understand how, your, how phones and computers and systems and things work. You understand how much caffeine is the right amount of caffeine to get you moving that day, and maybe your boss, I'm not sure. You've got an advantage over your boss. Here at Simple Church, I'm, I'm the boss, and I've got, we've got an organization of people that make everything run here. And every single one of them is more talented than I am. Every single one of them is way gifted more in a whole bunch of areas than I am. And I'm okay with that, and yet they still submit to me. And they don't use those giftings or those advantages to undermine my authority. They use them to submit to my authority to move the vision forward. In my home, it's the same thing. My kids are all here this morning. They're stronger than I am. They're faster than I am. They have opportunities and more favor than I ever had in my life. They've got advantages that I never had, and yet they're submitted to my authority. They don't use those as things to undermine my authority. In David's situation, he was more popular. He was more powerful. He had more advantages than King Saul, and yet he still submitted to Saul's authority. At one point in time, David in particular was being pursued by Saul. Saul was mad at him for, for, for his, and was jealous of him and knew at this point that David was going to be king and and so Saul is pursuing him. He's got 3,000 men chasing through the hills around David, trying to find him to kill him. And at one point in time, Saul goes into this cave where David and his men are hiding. And the Bible says he wasn't going in there to look for David. He was going in there to go number one or number two. We don't know, but it says relieve himself. <laughs> I'm not lying to you. It's in your Bible. You should read it. It's great. <laughs> and so wherever, whatever is happening there, whatever he's making, number one, number two, while he's relieving himself, David was close enough to him in the cave that he was able to cut off a piece of Saul's cloak. That he was that close that he could have stabbed him and ended his life right then and there in that moment. And he refused to touch him. In fact, when he cut off the piece of his cloak, David, David's heart, it says that his heart smote him, that he was upset about what he did because he couldn't believe that he touched the anointed one's robe. But here's what he did with that. After Saul's finished making whatever he was making, 
He lets him get out of the cave, and David follows him out of the cave and says, Hey, Saul, I was close enough that I could have ended your life, and I got a piece of your cloak to prove it to you. Check it out. And Saul looks, and sure enough, that's the case. And it says in verse 16, when David had finished speaking, Saul called back, Is that really you, my son David? And then he began to cry. And he said to David, You're a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today, for when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you've shown me today. And now I realize that you're surely going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. David had an advantage, and he didn't use his advantage to undermine his authority. He submitted to it. Another occasion it happened, something similar. Saul's at, Saul had turned away at that point, but several chapters later, Saul's after David again. He's trying to kill him. And they're all camped out, and everybody's asleep. And David and his buddy Abishai... What a cool name. They sneak into the camp. They find everybody sleeping, and they come up on Saul, and there's Saul's spear rammed into the ground. And Abishai leans over to David and says, Hey, God surely handed your enemy over to you this time. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't need to strike twice. No, David said, don't kill him. But who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday, or he'll die of old age or in battle. The Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed. But take his spear and that jug of water beside his head, and then let's get out of here. Once again, he doesn't use his advantage against Saul. He lets him know of his advantage. He took his spear and he took his jug. And the next day, he does the same thing he did with his cloak. Hey, man, I was close enough that I could have killed you. But I didn't. And once again, Saul sees who David is. And in the cave at night and in the camp that night, he had an advantage over him, yet he submitted to the authority God put in place. He was waiting on God to remove him to deal with that authority. And some of you, you need to do the same. Whatever authority you're facing that, is, that, that you find maybe you're in a situation that's unfair, maybe they're expecting too much of you, they've asked, whatever that situation is, I can go down a list of things. Maybe it's time that you begin praying for those in authority, and praying that God have their way with them, that God begin to work on their hearts, that God do what he's going to do in their lives. Because God gives you advantages over authority to serve them, not to undermine them. So David had every advantage, but he knew submission would bring him God's blessing. The last test is the association test. It had a lot to do with who you would hang out with. Eventually, the day came where David got the news about Saul, that he, that he had died. And the news came from a young Amalekite, a foreigner that was living in the land, and the Amalekite comes up to David and, and lies to David, lies through his teeth about what had happened. Because see, Saul was wounded in battle, and he knew that he was not going to be able to get away from the enemy. So he turns to his armor bearer, and he says, listen, they're going to come and capture me. They're going to torture me. I don't want anything to do with that. And he says, I want you to take your sword and run me through. I want you to kill me. And his armor bearer wouldn't do it. And so Saul took out his own sword, and he, and he fell on it, spilled his bowels out, and he died. He committed suicide. And the armor bearer, seeing what happened, took out his own sword and fell on his own sword and did the same. And this Amalekite comes upon the bodies. So he takes off Saul's cufflinks and takes the crown. And he goes to find David because he's certain that David would love to have the good news that Saul is dead. And so here's what happens. He comes to David and says he killed him. And David said to the young man who brought him the news, where are you from? And he said, I'm a foreigner. I'm an Amalekite who lives in your land. He said, why were you not afraid to kill the Lord's anointed one, David asked. David didn't know he was lying. He didn't know what would really happen. 
But this is David drawing a line in the sand and saying, I'm, I'm not going to associate with somebody who touched the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to associate with somebody who wouldn't submit to the authority of the land. Then David said to one of his men, kill him. So the man thrust his sword into the Amalekite and killed him. You've condemned yourself, David said, for you yourself confessed that you killed the Lord's anointed one. David would not hang out with and associate with a king killer. And I know you're here today and you're hearing that story and you're like, Aaron, so when I'm at work and my uh, coworker undermines the boss, you're saying that I have permission to stab him with a sword? Is that what a deal is? No. What, I, what I'm telling you is that you need to make a definite decision about who you spend time with. You need to make a definite decision about who your kids spend time with. Because as you raise your kids, you can raise them to respect authority, but if they start spending time around rebellious kids, they'll become rebellious themselves. The Bible says that, that bad company corrupts good character. My Bible teacher in high school used to say it this way, that show me who your friends are and I'll show you who you are. That if you hang out with rebellious people, if you spend time around people like that, that you, you yourself will become rebellious. David refused to be around a king killer. And we need to make the same decision. Don't associate with rebellious people. And so these are the tests. These are the tests that help you identify, am I really submitted to authority in my life? And every, every single one of us in this room are subject to these tests. We're also subject to the fact that every authority in our life has been placed there and that God requires us and calls us, if you're a Christ follower in this room, to submit to that earthly authority. Because if you do, then God will exalt you. Let's pray. Lord, in this moment, I just confess to you, I know, I know I've been talking to you all week about this message about how unpopular I believe it would be that today we, we celebrate rebellion, that it's not really, that authority is not really something we, we get down with. We resist authority. We rebel against it just for the sake of doing it. It's ingrained in us. But I, I, but I pray that, that what's happening right now is, is contrary to, to what culture is doing. That right now our hearts are being pricked, that the Holy Spirit is leading us, that many of us in this room already know that this time right now is set for us to ask you, Am I living under authority? Am I submitted in every area of my life to you, God? And, that, and many of you know, especially if you're Christ followers already in this room, you know that if you're not submitted to authority, that all you need to do is take a moment to repent, to take a moment to make a decision. This is not how I'm gonna live my life. I'm gonna be submitted and you're gonna be committed to doing whatever that means you need to do in order to do that, to be fully submitted. So today, God, I pray that in this moment that many of us would just repent of whatever that area of rebellion is. Lord, that we wouldn't be people that rebel and say no. We wouldn't be people that are stubborn and say, okay, God, I hear you, but I'm gonna do it in my time and I'm gonna do it when I'm ready. But we would be people that say yes now. We would be people who would submit to your authority now. And I pray, God, that as we pursue that submission to authority that you would bless us that we would find your favor, your blessing, and your protection. Now, if you're here in this room and you would say, Aaron, I'm not a Christ follower. And so all these submission to authority things, you're not really talking to me, but, but I wanna be, I wanna be under authority. 
See, the difference between those that, that know God and are Christ followers and are not is the issue of authority. See, when you come to Christ, the gift of salvation is free, but he requires us to submit to his authority in our lives. That we say, all right, I've been doing the things my way and I've made a mess of things. I've been doing things my way and I don't know peace. I don't know joy. I've been doing things my way and my relationships are broken. I've been doing things my way. I have no blessing. And I'm ready to do things your way. This the Bible calls repentance. It's an opportunity to, to turn and go another way, to turn and go God's way, to submit to his rule in your life. If you've been in church for any amount of time, they call this making Jesus Lord of your life, or in other words, he's in charge. And so in a moment, I'm gonna pray a prayer that will begin you on that journey. Not of perfection, but of spending every day just listening to how Jesus can be Lord of your life. Spending every day of going, all right, God, maybe this area is not submitted to you, but today I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that with your strength and with your help. We live a life under his authority. When you do that, God promises you forgiveness of your sins. Your sins are, are the things that come from living your life your own way. The Bible says the death is yours for that, and there's nothing you can do about that, but that Jesus can. That when you surrender your life to him, you find forgiveness for those sins. You find eternity in heaven. You find a life that's full and fulfilled here now on this earth. There's so much blessing that comes with it. So in this moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus' authority in your life. But I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you're here today and you want to be counted in on that prayer, I will not make you stand up or come to the front. You don't have to say anything, but where you're at, if you would just be so bold as to say, Aaron, that's me. Would you just slip your hand up right now and say, Aaron, I want to be counted in on that prayer. I'm ready to make Jesus Lord of my life. Yeah, that's awesome. I see your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else ready? I'm ready to make Jesus Lord of my life. I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to figure out how to follow him. That's you. Just, just do it now. Be bold. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. Church, let's pray together. Those of you that raised your hands, pray out loud. Those of you who didn't raise your hands, you go ahead and pray with us. Nobody prays alone. They're part of the family now. Amen. So here we go. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. Today, I submit to you. Take my life. Give me your life. Forgive me of my sins. And show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.